This is Infidel One. Offending Coyote Down. Offending Coyote Down. Roger that. Welcome to Trappin' Radio. We're proud, organic, free-range, wild fur farmers of North America. Let me tell you a little story about how I was raised. Every day work, every day pray. God, family, friends, yeah, everybody sins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Help folks in need, don't fall for greed. A jealous man is weak, so think before you speak. If you love them, let them know. If you hate, let it go. Fast can be fun, but sometimes you need slow. God is all good, the devil is so real. So listen up, y'all, because this is how I feel. I won't back up, I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job, but not my guns Tax my check till I ain't got none Except for the good Lord of above I answer to no one Now let's cover our sponsors. They do a lot to help support Trapping Radio. So I'm asking you guys out there and gals, to help support our sponsors as they keep trapping radio on the air. First sponsors, Oki Cable and Trap Supply. Jeb's the owner of this. He's out of Oklahoma, super guy. You'll not meet anybody nicer. It's somebody you're gonna wanna deal with. You can reach him at OKTrapSupply.com. You can give Jeb a call at 918-429-4648. Not only does he do trap supply guys, he's a fur buyer, so if you're around the Oklahoma or surrounding states, give him a call with your fur. When you need stuff, give him a call and he'll get it out to you as soon as he can. Our second sponsor is F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Guys, if you're into trapping fur, hunting fur, chasing fur with dogs, you're not gonna be able to think of hardly anything that you can't get from F&T. You can reach them at fntpost.com. You can also give them a call at 989-727-8727. Whatever you want, F&T's got it. Blue Ridge Outdoor Supplies. Scott Payne is the owner of this business. He's in Elton, Virginia. He also has a lure line, Mountain Rebel Lures and Baits. He's got a great coyote trapping video. He's also a fur buyer in Virginia. Anything that you're looking for and your trapping needs, give Scott a call and he'll get it right out to you. Wildlife Control Supplies, proven solutions for wildlife control, delivering value, expertise, and products to the wildlife individual. If you're an ADC business, control business, even fur trapping, you need to look at these guys' website. Top-notch company, have everything you would want, even the odd stuff that ADC guys are looking for. You can reach them at wildlifecontrolsupplies.com. You can give them a call at 877-684-7262. International number is 860-844-0101. If you're a wildlife control professional, you need to have wildlife control supplies as one of your favorites on your computer or your phone because when you come across something that you need specialized equipment, Alan will get it right out to you. Now let's go trapping. See, I'm a flag flying, Bible toting son of a gun. Yeah, I'm hell on the heart, just a rebel on the run. Scared, don't know it. Fear, don't feel it. The truth is the light. Sometimes you gotta fight. Good beats bad, right beats wrong. I'm a ballroom preacher, and this is my song. I'm climbing for the top, representing for the country. I'm the people's champ, right out to dig. Republican voter, Hank Jr. supporter, let's protect our border. To hell with anyone who don't believe in the USA, cause this is what I say. I won't back up, I don't back down, I've been raised up to stand my ground. Take my job, but not my guns, tax my shit till I ain't got- Hello everybody, this is Clint Locklear, I'm up in uh, the Herkimer, New York at the New York State Convention. This is the first year I've been up here and it is Thursday morning and before the show opens I grabbed the victim, <laughs> the meat man, and he looks a little nervous <laughs> and 
I don't know. I mean, it's just me and you talking. There ain't no reason to be nervous. And the other twenty-five to thirty thousand people who hear this don't even think about them. All right. <laughs> okay. So once you introduce yourself um, and where you're from, well, I'm Don Powell from uh, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Punxsutawney. Punxsutawney, the uh, home of the groundhog, weather capital of the world, February second. Uh, Do you go watch that? Oh yeah, it's a big festivity for uh, the whole area, and people come from you know every state and a lot of different countries. It's a great time, and everybody should experience it at least once. So, does it ever seem to ring true? Whatever his shadow. Oh is? yeah, the problem is that he talks. Uh, Punks Tony Phil talks in groundhog ease. And sometimes the handlers can't always interpret uh, him correctly, so he's never wrong. But sometimes the handlers have been uh, a little confused. But that is awesome. Okay, so you're you're known as the Mink Man. I mean, that's kind of what. Um, are you known that way because you decided to be known that way, or is that just kind well, of way it's worked out over Mink's the years? Mink's my passion, and. Uh, I guess not only did I love uh, trapping them, but I also loved studying them. And actually, you know, you've been a big part of that, Clint. I've never told you this before, but with your Teachers of the Night uh, videos, whenever I could see how the red fox and the beaver and the coyotes reacted to those sets, that really got me interested in uh, doing the trail camera footage. And uh, so I have all kinds of trail cameras and part of my DVD set. Uh, the success of that's been not because of me but because of the one I've captured on film and uh, a lot of things that I grew up uh, learning uh, how to do I didn't really realize why I why things worked until I saw the animals doing it themselves and then a lot of myths uh, such as stepping sticks I found that with the mink having short legs low bellies and uh, long necks that whenever you have those stepping sticks that they were stepping on the stick and stepping over the trap so it's kind of come up with different ways to you know well I've seen that's that's one of the biggest things I try to when I'm doing like a cat demo or instruction because the classic thing is all you know you line the circle with rocks or you you know you have the two big logs on the side and when I started running those trail the of course mine wasn't really trail cameras but the video cameras with the night vision mm -hmm. the cats would walk on the logs they'd walk on the rocks they would do and it would in all those years i'm like going how many cats did, did i you? actually miss thinking i was blocking them down and that's when i found with the mink you know things that i was doing uh wrong i look back and think boy what a difference that could have made you know from my youth until now so what is um do you mind asking me if I ask you what kind of cameras you use? Cameras? Is it a secret or no? It's uh, I use uh, Bushnell uh, cameras and then also the Reconics. So a lot of the the thing with the Reconics is that I believe is activated by uh, heat sensors or body motion or whatever. But uh, it's amazing how big of a distance you know I captured uh, the mink coming down from 200 yards up a stream. And it's nice to see how they uh, start on one side and go along the edge, hop over the stream, get into the water, come back up, go around obstructions, investigate holes and root systems. And uh, so those cameras were a big part of my success, I guess, with understanding them. The mink. I didn't know that that you had a video with that on there. I'd be buying that this weekend. Yeah. I mean that's when we were running the cameras we had. They were at the time state of the art using actual video cameras, and we we used like the wildlife eye model, and we had to build all this stuff, and we had all this infrared sensors and lights, and we could never. Is if I th I'm pretty sure we never got a mink. We'd see like a, the tip of their tail mm -hmm. and the tip of, uh, we would see the otter where they would blow through and you'd see the wake and then you'd find out where they'd been there later. Yeah. But as far as seeing them, our cameras couldn't come on that quick. Mm hmm So we, we never, I never got to do anything with the bank. Yeah, I was lucky in setting up even culvert pipes 
and seeing the mink coming down through the culvert swimming you know floating down through with the current uh, you know just thankful that I'd got that footage also with them going in around the corners of the pipes and coming back out uh, just really opened my eyes to a lot of things people ask what I'm good at well to be honest with you I'm good at catching possums but uh, <laughs> you know I have so much possum footage that uh, if anybody ever wants to do a possum video I you yeah. gotta do it just have it cheap and have it as a joke yeah well you know how it is with uh, you know trying to get that trail camera footage uh, I can't ima imagine the time it took to do mink. The thousands of hours, mm -hmm. literally, and then until you figure checking those cameras just like a trap line every day. And uh, last year, that was my entire year, you know, was checking uh, videos, so trying to learn more stuff. But what what is what is something that that just stands out? I mean, I know when I, I took instruction from Johnny Thorpe. Mm -hmm. And I and I was up there for like four days, and the first three days I did what I wanted to do: bobcats, coyotes, and otter. That that's kind of my main thing. And on the last day, Johnny's like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm in New York Mountains with Johnny Thorpe. I mean, it's <laughs> got to be mink." He yeah. said, "Well, you don't trap mink." I said, "That's irrelevant." <laughs> yeah. And I said, "I want you to show me Johnny's way of catching mink." And the first thing he did with me is took me to one of those little brooks, I think is what he calls them. Okay. It's a creek at home, but up there yeah. he calls it something different. Right. And uh, he said, well, where's the mink going to be? And he, he, for about the next 30 minutes, dressed me down on my lack of knowledge of mink and then explained how they would go through the area and his sets. And it was so different than I thought it would be. Because you read those things from the 80s on... You just set the trap up next to the bridge abutment. You shave off the bank. You, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Well, they're, but they're only here in certain places." Yeah. Well, the thing that I feel is that uh, the general rule is that mink don't always do anything. So if you can keep that in mind, uh, that helps you to start realizing that you have to set up all the tiers. And when I call it tiers, I talk about uh, the dry trails up on the bank. Then down at the water's edge, still along the uh, the bank or on, on the land. Then in the water, shallow for the swimmers. You'll have them uh, swimming in uh, the top of the surface. You know the top edge sets, and then also your bottom sets. So basically, if you go based upon what you're saying that Johnny taught you, they're they're all He's over. more of a high bank setter. Not a trail setter, but a high bank setter. Okay. Well, I like the trail setting with the, what I call perfect steppers. Uh, Bob Best had taught me years ago. I traveled to Ohio and saw one of his demonstrations, and he taught me to use uh, wide maple sticks or branches. So, you know, for years I was cutting maple branches that are in the form of a Y, putting those in the trails and having the animals centered right up on those trails stepping perfectly on my pan and then it got to the point where you know I was spending a lot of time looking for sticks or they would turn and stuff so we started making what we called perfect steppers which again is just basically two prongs into the ground with a V and it uh, it'll catch you everything from coyote fox you know, possums and uh, including no, that mink. That can't be true because animals are scared of metal. Yeah. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. If they're made out of metal, I'm just making that assumption. Yeah, they are made out of metal. Yep. Well, how so, can that be? I don't know how you can say it, but uh, I have a lot of footage <laughs> but, uh, showing that it is that way. And, and they probably don't even pay attention to it. No, they? they never even slow down. No. Nope. But, yeah, we call those perfect steppers, but uh, the other thing, you know, you ask, what else did I find? Well, one of the things that was interesting is I used to always just uh, pin my bait back into a pocket or uh, wire it up in the back of a route box for mink boxes. And I started seeing that the mink would work from the back and, or avoid some of my pockets, look in and just continue on. Well, a lot of the footage showed that they would look in and then come around from the to the back and I started wondering why when other situations they would you know go right in 
and I started realizing uh, based upon where it hit me was in a culvert situation I had the uh, a piece of trout back in the culvert wired up and a mink worked it and the trout kind of switched positions it was working it from the head uh, position being downstream and whenever it was pulling on it the trout switched positions well the next time that it came back it went around to the top I started realizing that every time I had the uh, fish positioned uh, in a certain way that's the way the mink would come into it from so so they would try to eat the back end or the no, head end they would come towards the head end yep so uh i have a lot of evidence showing that that you know really is a true uh thing to be concerned about or watch so well that is cool yep that's a really it was an eye-opening thing and and I found that the way they worked my boxes and the success rate was a lot higher by uh, pinning that bait so that the head was always facing out towards the trap direction. So, uh, just one of those little things that you wouldn't think much about. But Are you going to still run cameras this year? Yep, still running them. Maybe I need to see if you'll do me a favor then. Okay. Since I'm do asking you in front of everybody. Yeah, that's a if I get you some portable pockets, would you see how the mink reacted to that? Yeah. Because uh, did you looked at them over on Norm's table? No. They're I'm I'm using them more for beaver, otter, and coyotes and okay. cats than I am. Um, I've caught muskrat with them. Uh, they're deadly on beaver, but it's it's just a pipe. And what you're telling me, I'm I'm really curious now. Just out of useless information I would like to know um, it's it's open in the front it's about an inch and a half pipe but it, there is an opening on the back okay and it's a stake in in the way that I'm using you don't have to use it this way is I'm using it with a slider to take a beaver in the water and that's my stake and the tractor and everything on it okay and then the um, I'm just curious if they're gonna work it from the back because you're not really putting it in the ground, mm -hmm. per se. I'd just be curious of what a mink would, would... I'd love to see what they're actually doing with it. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. I'll get some of those from Norm and give them to you. Yeah. Now, the second most famous animal in uh, Punxsutawney is Ruth. Now, we have a captive mink that's uh, on our videos. And what we've done with her is basically just studied her in an aquarium situation where... Uh, I always thought that mink, you know, primarily the raccoon are using their uh, front feet to pick things up and eat with, whereas the minks doesn't really use their front feet for anything that I can find other than they're big on going down to the bottom of streams and turning over rocks, picking those rocks up, displacing the crayfish, and then going back and killing the crayfish. And uh, Ruth, who her name is uh, Ruthless Killer. <laughs> she just will wipe out an aquarium of crayfish. She'll just continually hunt and hunt and hunt until they're all gone. And she'll try to do the same thing with the chubs and minnows. And uh, so that was another thing I realized with the pockets, that they're oftentimes not hungry. They just have a desire to kill. And, uh, well, you know, the... That that's interesting. I'm glad I'm not I'm not the only guy that when when Chattanooga's got an aquarium and they've got otters at the very top and they've got this whole system set up and I would sit up there for hours mm -hmm. watching them and after a while it was almost like the people working there were <laughs> you know I'm I'm actually taking notes and they're like you know like that, that's like an otter pervert or something yeah. <laughs> but you I learned how they. Like to, to me, like some things I'm curious if, from your experience with the cameras, if an otter's going into the water, he doesn't step into the water, he kind of pushes out like a kid would on a float so his feet don't actually go down. Yep. And then uh, an otter going upstream, uh, if there's any current at all, will we'll drop to the bottom. But if he's coming downstream, he stays on top of the water. If the current's too strong, he'll go over mm -hmm. the the road instead of go. Is that? Do you think mink pretty much do pretty much the same thing? Yep. And the other thing that I find with it is they, 
for set locations, they love, before they go in, they love to uh, take a look under. So they'll take those big long necks and put their head in under the water and take a, you know, kind of scan things, scan the uh, environment and then go down in. But it's funny too how their butts float. You can learn a lot about trigger placement for your Kana bears and stuff by, you know, understanding that too. Well, it sounds to me like you, you really brought the, as there, now this happened to me when I come out with teachers the night, there was a lot of people that had these beliefs in their head about something and when they saw it different, they actually got aggressive mm -hmm. because it was like you were challenging what they thought for 20 years. Did you have that with your mate? I did until they see the, uh, the video because how can you argue with the, Oh, you know, people when, can argue. Yeah, they can <laughs> argue. But uh, one of the big things on that was I was taught, you know, and you're reading some method, book, method books, is to uh, have your trap about a half an inch or an inch underwater for the swimmers. Well, when you see a mink swimming on the video, you can see that they're a good two to three inches is where those feet, you know, are going to be at least three inches down. And they're doing that, I call it minky paddling, but it's like doggy paddling. Uh, where their feet are, you know, just going across those traps. So you have to have your pan a little higher too. With canines, you're always taught to keep that pan down below the jaws. But for mink, because again, they have that short, uh, those short legs and the low belly, they like to step up on things. So having that uh, uh, pan a little higher seems to be a benefit. Well, see, I always thought when you were setting traps, in water where something would be swimming like that that you would expect them to hit the trap and then crawl up on it but you're saying you're catching them as they're swimming yes uh, in a foothold yeah. trap yeah and where they're swimming they're raking their feet across the uh across the pan now there are sets that i call pure sets because the mink uh their fur has a lot of air in it which i never realized either the first time i saw my uh captive mink there ruth uh, swimming down in there, I thought, holy man, what's going on? There's all this bubbles coming out of its side of its, you know, fur. And uh, I thought something was wrong, but here it's, uh, you know, just their fur absorbs that air, or holds that air, I should say, and it helps them with their swimming. Well, the other thing that they do is they do that swimming and then they'll get back up onto something and shake off just like a dog would shake. You know, and uh, that kind of rejuvenates that uh, air in the fur. So those pier sets are so important because of that too. So, and that's where you'd basically put some sod or grass on your platform. They see that, and they see that as an opportunity to take a rest, or you know, get back up and look around a little. So bit. that's like something you're putting on a really high bank situation or a culvert or yeah any place that you think a mink had been swimming and would uh, either want to get up on that to take a look around maybe put its neck in under the water uh, so you're just having an, an inch or so above the water where they can easily climb up on it do you ever catch muskrats that way oh yeah it's a real good muskrat set and that's why the title of our uh, dvds are mink after mink on purpose that's why you you know a lot of the people that are catching mink are catching them by accident in their muskrat sets but they're a completely different animal than a raccoon or a muskrat so uh, by understanding their habits you can really increase your numbers in the same location I can be trapping right along with uh, a lot of good raccoon trappers and they're not catching any raccoons and you know I'm picking up the mink so well that's you know like from the otter point of view I think it's a disservice when people just how the human brain works if you're in an area that has otter and a lot of beaver and you're a beaver trapper you're gonna accidentally catch some otter mm -hmm. and in a lot of these states especially when I get further north they have limits so they're only allowed two, three, four, five otter anyway. So they catch those otter accidentally year after year after year, and they never set for them. Okay. And then the thought process seems to go, otter's really easy to catch. I'm not even trying to catch them. I'm not catching yeah. them. So they don't respect what they, like a mink, you know, because I remember when I went to Michigan years ago, I've never been around mink populations like that. Mm -hmm. I was catching them in coon sets and 
muskrat sets and I mean it was cool to me but I was like well these things ain't that much you just gotta have them yeah. you know really and and when it comes to like the otter it's really easy to catch you know six eight ten twenty by accident go catch a hundred right a totally different what goes on mm-hmm yeah and I I think I misspoke there saying about uh, you know the guys trapping around me catching not catching any coon they're not the coon trappers aren't catching any mink is what I was meaning to say there so yeah so I'm, I'm always I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit just because I've always been my favorite thing the last couple of years has been catching mink in cages okay because it's simple you know it's it's something that it's easy for me to check and it's easy because I'm not really mink trapping per se but you know I find sign I can put these little cages out but if I was going to go to footholds because I I used to raccoon trap mm-hmm. the way that I did, I'm always thinking of water level. So in, after going to Johnny, it's always now when I actually do set traps for mink, they're always on dry land. So what would what would you be looking for to set on dry land? I mean, well, because you're in the Appalachian Mountains too, right? So mm-hmm. it's going to be pretty similar. Well, I'm, uh, yeah, Johnny would be up around the Adirondacks there, and I'm uh, down around Pittsburgh is more my location, but uh, we have just small streams, you know, some bigger streams, but uh, as far as setting just on dry land, I'm always saying that a one-trick pony doesn't last very long at the circus, so it's a, it's the same thing with a mink trapper with the uh, with the weather conditions and flooding and stuff like that. Uh, I'm looking at all the different tiers. You know, I'm not just thinking dry land because there's I call it the windshield factor too. That it seems whenever people say about storms, but what really seems to make them hit that water is when the wind chill factor gets down you know very low i think it's a lot warmer in the water and that seems to drive them down there so i wouldn't want to just have my dry trails up there then plus then you're fighting the snow and stuff so i i'm trying to cover all those the four tiers that i mentioned you know you know i live in tennessee right okay. we don't have wind chill yeah, you don't snow, have anything so. <laughs> <laughs> <I hear you. laughs> So and it, and I get I'm seeing in my mind what you're what you're doing. I went up and visited a guy in, in Maine. It was either last year or the year before, and he was and he had me interested in moving up there. Okay. And all the the mink and otter and muskrats on these rice. The I don't know what you call them. They're like coves coming off the ocean or swamps or or whatever you'd want to call these great big things. But the tide would drop seven and eight feet a day. Those coastal waters, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. and he was like, well, on the bottom you set a trap, and then you come up here and you set a trap, then you come up here and you set a trap. And I'm looking at him like he lost his mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you talking about shooting in the dark. <laughs> right. Well, what I do whenever I get to a location, let's say we're pulling into a culvert location. The first thing I'll do is look and see, is there a crossover that's pretty obvious or over the road yeah so it may not be obvious it may be a very faint trail but i look for the crossovers then i'll look for uh on each side is there a parallel trail that everything's using from coon to fox and coyote to uh, mink and, uh, so there i'll have my dry trails then i'll look for slips where the bank has fallen down that's usually a good location for them to want to pull out and then your pinch points uh, for any obstruction that would cause them to go around something. Uh, points of interest, like a root system. And then, you know, in my culvert, you know, I have good blind sets there. And then is there a good place to put a baited set uh, on each side? So, But the thing I'm doing is I'm not going... I'm, I feel like the three most important things... I'm in real estate, you know, so what are the three most important things in look? in real estate or location 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 but with mink trapping it's locations 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 having a lot of locations to try to hit a big population you know uh, not a not a big population but a lot of uh, 
a lot of mink because there aren't big populations. So you got to get a lot of traps out over a lot of area. So the first day I'm going to go and I'm going to make the two quickest sets that I can make. Usually when I call quick tunnels where basically you're just taking that suicide set creating a point of interest by leaning like a railroad plate up against a bridge wall or a culvert giving them a tunnel. Uh, Charlie Dobbin said if you want to start or you want to catch a lot of animals start with a hole. Well I believe for mink you start with a tunnel because they love to go through things. Uh, people say well why do they do that? It's like a dog chasing a stick. I don't know why they do it but they do it. They can't hardly resist a, a tunnel. So I make those quick tunnels on the bridge walls, make two of them, move on to the next location. Try to get my whole line set up, uh, at least those loops all set up with those types of sets. Then whenever I'm coming back through the next day, uh, I won't do anything with those locations until my, I have my whole line set up. But then once that line's set up, then I'll start on each time I check it, which is, you know, in Pennsylvania we have to check every 24 hours. Uh, then I'll go ahead and start adding other sets in. So I'm not setting eight traps at one location the first day. So you're running a progressive line, but just not on different animals. I, ne I never described it that way, but that is the perfect way to describe it. Progressive line. I never, that's, I'm going to copy that from you because that, that that's the perfect way to describe it yeah See, I, I do that with um with different animals like if my target animal is otter i set all the otter then i go in and set the beaver then the coon and then but every day i'm only thinking about that one animal yeah now are you doing the tunnel set because it's fast and easy or is that your most productive well it's a very productive set uh and it is fast and easy so it's something that I can gain a presence at a location people uh, one of the things with me is in our area we have a lot of competition but if I get to a bridge and there's somebody else set there uh, in most cases I will just keep on going and get to the next one try not to do what I call hiving uh, where you know you have a bunch of trappers all at one location uh, I'd rather just try to claim locations and then if other people come after me that's fine but I don't want to be known be as a guy who's jumping in on somebody else's spot. You'd have a rough time in Iowa. Yeah. You'd yeah. have a rough, I mean it, there's so many people under those bridges you just hang around to launch the big barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> but see that's why I'm working hard to be the first one there. So the first day uh, with my thought process I'm flying and if they can beat me there they're probably uh they were probably there before season. So. In, in reality, though, most people aren't setting that many bridges. No. I mean, they're they're probably very localized in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a passion, and uh, it's taught me a lot, you know, about getting up early and getting out there and uh, adjusting. People say about having patience when you're mink trapping. You have to have some patience, but to me, it's mostly diligence, you know, adjusting. So uh, whenever I give this demo here tomorrow, you know, you're going to see all kinds of, uh, you know, tools. And I say it's like building a house. You wouldn't want to try to build a house with just a saw and a hammer. You could do it, but it's nice to have some other things like a level and a square and stuff like that. You've obviously uh, never seen me, but it's a, it's a chainsaw and a screwdriver. That's yeah, it. well, you can get her done that way. <laughs> but uh, I like to have the right tools. So I have a lot of adjustable platforms that uh, have legs that adjust and uh, tables that instead of me messing around, I can just easily move them. Uh, tables are basically just a platform for my trap along a bridge wall for those swimmers that can uh, just be moved and uh, it's all about having a system I believe. So from looking at your table and reading your mink book it seems it, and I may be totally off base on this but I'm making a judgment on you. Okay. You you have you have these concepts and then you get to because not every no creeks the same no bridge is the same no culverts the same 
when you come across something that what you're doing doesn't exactly fit it perfectly, you start piddling is what my wife called yeah, it until you, you get the tool to fit that one thing and you may or may not need that again yeah till somewhere way down the road mm-hmm. that's where all your your tools and your yep yeah i know what their habits are and so like what you're saying is i have one location where i could not get my plates uh to keep from being washed out you know with the high waters and stuff but it was a great location and so what I did was to basically took two plates and uh, some fence posts, metal fence posts, and made them to the approximate depth of uh, where I needed for the water. Then instead of having anything that's uh, being washed out by the current, I can just wedge that in that culvert. And it, uh, there's no resistance, no surface, you know, for anything but uh, basically flat plates. So I can keep my... Uh, traps working in there all year but are you are you trapping pretty much the same area every year yes mm-hmm. well, i i have uh what i call reliable sets and uh <coughs> those are ones that have you know been catching mink for in that area for quite a while and then i have uh speculation sets which are every year i try to get rid of a few locations excuse me and add some other ones so so being seen I very rarely have I got to be in one place very long just my nature of my business so if I'm gathering what you're saying and I think this is awesome if it's what you're doing a lot of the tools and the different ways you're setting you're you're when you get out of a location you've already been there done that you know how to make that exact location the best that it is because you're you're designing Mm-hmm. these different things off of the individual locations yeah and i'm big on analyzing i'll look over my numbers and see well hey this looks like a minky location and uh, there should be mink here but i'm not really catching when i should be so then i'll look at it and try to adjust for the next year and you know with the flooding and stuff every location changes uh and I don't get as much time as I used to to, you know, go out preseason and do anything. But at least I have an idea and a tool. And most of my tools are capable of, uh, you know, being adjusted to the situation and making it work, you know, without a lot of effort. So my effort came beforehand, you know. I, uh, they say, how do they say that? Uh, the more you sweat and practice, the less you bleeding the game or something like that so actually that was over the cp when i was in the 502nd more you sweat and training less you bleed on the battlefield yeah we looked at that every day when we we were there okay so yeah so that's the kind of thing with mink trapping if uh i say you can catch a lot of mink in may and june and july you know <laughs> by getting your tools ready and having them uh ready for whenever the trapping season actually comes in well, just from a simplistic way of thinking of something you've already said, if the mink like the tunnel and they're on the side of the culverts or bridges, how come you just couldn't put a, a centered up 110 inside of a box? Yeah, you can. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you see uh, the video, which I'd like for you to see, uh, you'll see Ruth. She just loves those tunnels and she would just go right through and the thing that happens is they talk about trigger avoidance well, I use a lot of treadles or pans you know in my 110s too uh, because like we talked before some of them will just take a peek in and then back out but once they step on that treadle uh, you know then it's all over the other thing that I'll use as an analogy with the triggers is I have uh, a little apple orchard that this time of the year in the fall it's tough to mow around because the branches are heavy with apples and they're you know you're trying to mow in around well you can take that uh, mower right in it and move your head back and forth and still get through those low hanging branches just by maneuvering a little bit well the mink is really good at that it's not that they're afraid of that trigger it's just that they're able to you know conform their body to go around things i mean 
Ruth can turn around in a four inch pipe with no problem at all. She goes in, turns right around in the middle and comes right back out there, double jointed or whatever you want to call. Mm. So it's, it's not that they're that smart. It's just that they're uh, made uh, to avoid a lot of the things we as trappers, you know, put in front of them. So you have to adjust that. Stuff. Well, if you think of a mink size of his head, and then the actual diameter of a, a body grip trigger, that'd be like me. You, someone asking me or you to run her face in a half-inch piece of rebar. We're yeah. not going to do it. Right. You know, and w one of the failed things that I've done that uh, it may work for somebody somewhere else, we have extremely clear water where I'm at. I mean, it's like Caribbean bathtub water. Okay. Unless we're in a flood state. So... And the, the triggers have always bothered me inside of the trap. I, I just, you know, there had to be a different way. Well, we were playing around with um, great big colony traps for beaver and otter. And, you know, and overanalyzing, well, if you had plexiglass for doors and it just looked like nothing was there, they would hit that before they could adjust and be in the trap. Okay. So then my, my brain went, why can't I do that into a body grip? So if he's going through something, he would hit the plexiglass before he realized that the plexiglass was there and it would fire the trap. In theory, it worked really well. Mm -hmm. Our water, because it flows so much, if you put something solid there, the silt comes around the backside and makes it look like a spray-painted panel uh, of brown. So my clear door is only clear for like 10 minutes. Okay. So that didn't work. But I've never liked triggers inside of a body grip. Mm -hmm. One of the things I did for otter, and I'm not sure because a mink is so small that it'd make that big a difference. I cut up a bunch of savages down in Louisiana one time, made them 20 inches long, and then it, instead of having triggers in it, I made a piece of pipe that would rotate on that one of those bottom jaws and the dog could hook into it and I run fence posts up both sides. Okay. So I had 20 inches of open, and then I took very, very tiny metal wire and put two across. And let me tell you, the otter didn't ever know what was going on when that happened. But it was aggravating because every catch, you had to rewire the trap. Mm -hmm. You know, and that wasn't as easy as it sounded. So what, 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 what do you do for trigger placement, or do you just went pretty much well, I like, all treadles? I like the... Uh for the dry trails, I like the BMI bell triggers and or uh, trip wires, you know, the belly trip wires. And uh, you can uh, also think about, you know, stabilizers, which we also sell perfect duckers, where basically they are able to be stabilized with the trigger on the bottom or the top. And every situation is different I mean it's depending on your grass and stuff but grass grows up from the bottom but there are banks where you know it's hanging down over so that all uh, is stuff that you know I look at but yeah for the boxes I use the treadles and they can be Barker mink pans or those Savo uh, treadles that you get from Canada the problem with them is you know the shipping's a little higher but uh, I have enough that, you know, that hasn't been a problem, you know, anymore. Now, when most me. of those are set, though, that treadle's actually sticking up a little bit. A little bit. You can adjust them just like with starting a uh, a trigger on a, a conibear, you know, your regular triggers, starting so that it moves a little bit. You can do the same thing with those other, you know, treadles. So. Well, I've wondered why that hadn't become a lot more popular with raccoons in boxes yeah I don't know why it just makes better sense they wouldn't be reaching in and doing all that mm -hmm. so how did you get into trapping I'm always curious about this well that's a I was uh, about nine years old and visiting my grandparents and they had a little uh, general store in Porter Pennsylvania you know hard-working people and uh, he also sold to the farmers uh, feed for the horses and stuff like that along with the general you know store and uh, I was asking about trapping I don't even know how I heard about it but he said there's a, 
a trap down in the uh, feed feed shed there. If you want it, you can have it. And I went down. It was a number one victor. And boy, that was the start of it. Whenever I, I was just fascinated <laughs> with that little number one victor. And uh, one of my brother's friends who was trapping muskrats, and he let me go with him and my brother. And, and uh, we caught that first muskrat. And ever since then, I've been hooked. And I bought every book I could ever find, you know, and the videos and stuff now. I'm just hungry for it. But uh, do, you, uh, do you use big pans? I do, and that again, that is uh, between you and O'Gorman. I would. That's uh, where I got it from originally. Really, these old MJ six hundreds in the eighties. Yep, and uh, I'm a big believer in that. Talk about things that uh, people will argue with you about, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I call it step coverage. You know, and uh, just the the mink's foot so little that if you can increase your landing pad for them uh, it makes a big difference so i can imagine i mean especially with the mink and i've played around i've caught mink in uh, threes with the big pans with no on long springs mm -hmm. and and I, I even use those on muskrats i mean do you really need it for a muskrat no but i may catch an extra one i didn't yep we're gonna catch before it's nice to have the odds in your favor oh absolutely and are you a cold spring guy or a long spring guy or do you use both? Well, growing up, I used the long springs, and <clears throat> I used to uh, use the number two victors for my fox trapping until the you know coyotes came. The old square jaws. Yeah, the old square jaws. And so, unfortunately, I sold a lot of those and replaced them with one and a halfs at the time and stuff, but uh, still had some. And actually, that was my... Uh, best Christmas I got uh, three number two victors and a BB gun one time and <laughs> man, I was on top of the world you know but anyways I started uh, so I started using the long springs then switched to the one and a half coil springs and then uh, read somewhere where somebody said about number two victors and I still had a bunch left and and that now is my favorite trap, you know. So I don't even look for new traps. I look for used number twos that I can modify by putting a swivel on the end and having the bigger pans. And that's all I need for mink. It gives a good high hold. Guys have said about fur damage. I don't think I've ever had any fur damage from the, you know, the trap itself. So well, the, the old square jaw victors are my favorite traps to set on logs. Uh huh. Because they're flat, and yep. I, I've got a, a panda dog fetish, and they have the best leverage system. Yeah, that's ever been made on that trap. Mm. But it's crazy; they're expensive now. Yeah, they're going up. Yeah, and and you're like going, why? Yeah. I think a lot of mink trappers are, you know, bringing them back to life. So. So I, I see on your thing, you're using a lot of the body grips on your table, just when I looked it over. Mm -hmm. You're using, do you ever try colony traps or funnel traps or? No, in Pennsylvania, we're not allowed to use those. So I've never tried them. Either. Mm. Well, well, you gotta go to somewhere that's not a common estate, <laughs> man. Yeah. Oh, I like Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> we have our problems, but. And have you ever went out of state or you pretty no. much stayed at home? I've, uh, traveled like uh, just to look at other areas I went up through uh, uh, whenever even the last uh, convention that was in Minnesota I took an extra couple days and went down through like Iowa and those areas looked at where Bud Hall used to trap you know just I don't know if it was the exact bridges but I went to a lot of his uh, uh, areas and looked at those bridges to try to understand you know what they were facing and uh, well, one of the, and I wish I could find the picture, and it was in an old, I don't know if it was in an old book or it was in an old magazine, but Bud Hall has always been an interesting guy, mm -hmm. you know, and so was Griggs when it mm -hmm. comes to the mink. And one of the things, the pictures that I found that what once I was getting hammered on these big pans so bad, mm -hmm. I came across this old picture, and I wish I'd have took a picture with it in my phone, because it might have been at Tom Parr's Trapping Museum. You had Griggs, you know, and he's showing all these mink. And you see the traps, the traps he talks about in his book. 
but in the very back of that corner of that photograph kind of like wasn't supposed to be in the picture were number three Blake and Lambs with suit pans that were wired bolted or something on that on inside and they were almost to the jaws okay you know and yeah. i was like yes yeah, he was yeah <laughs> but he didn't talk about it uh-huh that was one of the you know back in those days you didn't tell people yeah. what you really did you yeah. just kind of gave them enough information to sell the book <laughs> yeah well a lot of these guys have really helped me i mean guys like russ carmen and uh you know all these guys that had wrote books and stuff you know i consider them mentors to me and and they've made such a difference in my life by uh, getting me interested in trapping. Like I said, I think from uh, even a business standpoint, you know, just dealing with people and also, you know, adjusting and planning and stuff like that. It's I owe a lot to those people that came before me and uh, I'd like to try to dig the well a little deeper so that anybody else that's thirsty to get some knowledge, you know, I'd uh, like for it to be there. That's minktrapping.com was uh you know designed for that too just basically anybody it's a free site and anybody that wants to you know talk about mink trapping is welcome to sign up and is it like a form or yeah, the, content yeah i have all kinds of different stuff on there but the the value in the whole site is uh the forum you know because you have guys from all over that are sharing ideas from oregon to you know maine and uh guys like Frenchie in New York and just a lot of good trappers and and a lot of guys just getting into it kids and and people that retired and trapped as a kid and were coming back you know it's just amazing how much as a collective group you can uh, advance the whole uh, the whole group I guess by sharing information so, and that's again like I said I'll go back to what you've done with your teachers of the night that has made all the difference in my trapping from coyote to uh to fox and stuff uh you know i i can just sit there like you're saying about looking at the otter tank i watch those tapes over and over again those dvds and uh you know that the great teachers are the the animals themselves so. absolutely i'm still stuck on with, with all this meat knowledge you've got and you've never taken a stab at Iowa or somewhere where they got a lot of me well I think about it I do you know I think uh, I'd like to see when I could do you know numbers wise with uh, different locations but I'm, well, I'm a pretty if you get on and I, and I know you'd enjoy this there's um, every year I interview a guy uh, Ron Schaefer from Louisiana and his big thing is mink okay. and the first you'd have to go back even to the old original trapping radio and now it's the trapping radio too but the, the original trapping radio has got his first one and he caught a decent amount of mink and then he went and he got all these dvds and he didn't catch any mink yeah. and then he went back to just taking a, a bmi out of the box not doing nothing with it stuck it in the trail and he caught like 40 mink yeah and then last year he got 212 mink out of like 38 traps. Wow. And it was, his, his was trail setting in Louisiana. And he was like, I read these books and the bait. Well, they, they never hungry in Louisiana. Yeah. You know, I'm catching them at crawfish ponds for goodness sake. Yep. And it was just, I think you'd find it fast because he goes through the whole, on those three interviews, you go through a, a span of several years of highs and lows. And, and it, it, for one, he's just entertaining. But yeah being a Cajun but well you bring up a good point there with them not being hungry you know my captive mink there Ruth she's I don't think she you she couldn't starve to death if she wanted she can kill anything you know and a mink out in the wild you know if there's any type of fish or frogs or anything there I mean they're fierce hunters mm -hmm. you know and so the thing that I think guys make a mistake with is <coughs> trying to uh, appeal to their their hunger i think what you have to do is you have to appeal to their desire to kill and i think that's again where the eyes and having that bait faced out as if it's still alive <coughs> excuse me might be more of the uh, answer do you think a mink would know the difference between 
a very well made artificial fish where they look just like a fish and if you put fish oil on it what do you think they'd know the difference well my baited bottom sets you know i started out using bluegills with them and they didn't last very long so i started uh experimenting with uh like storm or yum or power baits and stuff on the triggers and underwater that seems to work very well but what I found with that is the eyes are important you know you can buy some cheap ones I tried to save money and buy uh, some artificial baits that didn't have good eyes or good color and I noticed a big difference that you know they didn't work very good even like Mr. Twisters didn't work uh, even though you had that tail motion you didn't have the eyes so I'm a big believer in the eyes as far as on the uh, dry sets or in pockets I think that uh, you could probably get away with that sm smell and stuff but uh, I think it's, you can't hardly beat the you know the real thing with uh, you know so I, I do a lot of salting uh, you know bait mm -hmm. collecting and salting them and so then you don't think the extra salt hurts anything I haven't noticed that it did and I'm using mostly using that whenever it's cold and freezing so you know, I'll use, uh, might start out with some fresh trout that uh, I just had frozen. And uh, then as I'm catching muskrats, I'll use muskrat and stuff. And then whenever it gets cold, I'll use the salted uh, fish. Did you ever try on your on your cheaper baits just to get the, the defective eyes from the taxidermy? No, I never tried that. Because that would be, I would, I would say, it would be pretty spectacular, especially yeah. underwater. Now, with in my cubbies or my uh, mink boxes, I do use from uh, oh the craft store place, Hobby Lobby. You can buy those eyes, like frog eyes and stuff like that. And I'll take a piece of wool, uh, sheep's wool, and just punch those eyes through. They have little backs that you can squeeze together. I just put one in there and let it spin around and that seems to work and there again that's comes from uh, guys talking about bobcat trapping mm -hmm. you know using those eyes I think uh, Tom Krause might have been the one that I saw it from uh, so but really now with the uh, real baits I've found that it's not I haven't been spending as much time doing that mm -hmm. you know, but. well the, the, to finish up what when you come up what are you looking for with a body of water that if someone didn't know that much about mink, where were the places they should key in on? Well, with a pond, in our area we have some ponds, farm ponds and things like that. I'd look at the inlets, the outlets, and then I'd look for any type of structure, you know, uh, points of interest, anything that stands out to you, you could look at. But if you're looking at a stream, just again uh, look at what you can get to fairly easily if you're going to run a lot of traps you got to be able to get to them fast you can't walk uh, two miles mm -hmm. you know at each location and then expect to catch a lot of mink no, not everybody wants to catch a lot of mink maybe you guys want to walk and just catch a couple but uh, but for me I'm looking at something pretty convenient and then uh, I have a belief that that mink's going to come through there, so I'll make a set. And with the uh, quick tunnels, as an example, I make that a destination for them. When they see that grass-covered tunnel, you know, it could be under a bridge wall that has no other features. And people say, well, they hug. Well, they hug some, but they don't hug all the time. I mean, those tracks will show you and... Uh, videos will show you they'll run right down through the middle of those things and so the suicide set uh, which is basically just tied up against a bridge wall on a corner or something uh, that that'll catch you some mink but boy if you make that into a tunnel right there then that mink on the other side sees that point of destiny and it you know becomes a point of interest and a destination for them and then then your numbers start to really increase so well one thing like you're talking about bridges I mean our culverts mm -hmm. that's a lot smaller animal but one of the things I do a lot with otter and beaver 
if especially doing control if it's somewhere I'm, that I'm like at home I've got several of these set up I will run a fence panel across the creek and only give them two ways to get up down the creek mm -hmm. if if they go all over the place inside of that culvert it seems like you could make them go to the edge where it was very obvious yep yeah I call it nudging just by doing like you're saying you can you can fence things off or you can easily just make it where they want to want to go there themselves uh, you know I learned growing up my granddad had a little farm like as a hobby farmer and uh, the cows would get out or the cows would have to be moved and it'd be my job to try to move them like as a herder you know <laughs> and I found that if you you can't make the animals do stuff that you don't they don't want to do a lot of times mm -hmm. and, uh, so it's a lot easier to nudge them and uh, get them to want to do it themselves so that's the same thing with mink trapping I've learned that when my chickens get out <laughs> yeah. you can't you can't corral a chicken yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it helps with marriage too and kids yeah. raising kids too yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> well man I appreciate it I, that, that was a lot of information that was really good now see that wasn't bad hey, you, it got me like, out here in the middle of nowhere. What could I do? I had to well, yeah. <laughs> tell you when I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do appreciate it. I really do. Thanks a lot, Clint. Thank you, everybody.